Hi, I'm supernatural thriller author J.F. Penn, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genretainment. If you happen to be new to the show, Genretainment is part of the SciFiPulseRadio.com network. And we're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. I'm the author of the book Television on the Wild Wild Web, script writer, filmmaker, and part-time ninja. And I am a writer, actress, and I think all-around genretainment class clown. And this is Genretainment. Um, this is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, books, and web series. And we give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. This is episode 126, and our guest this time is author Jeffrey H. Haskell. He is the author of a fun superhero novel series I've been reading called Full Metal Superhero. Well, Jeffrey tells us about his popular superhero series, the meaning behind the name of the series and the lead character, the research he did on the science behind the superhero, doing research to write a character that can't walk, his experiences writing for Kindle Worlds and more. We also chat with him about what we all think makes a superhero story a superhero story. Before we start the interview, we should mention that the music you hear at the start and end of the show is from our friend T. Sean Hardy, who composed this theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand. Now let's get started with the interview. It's great to have you on the show. Um, I've been really enjoying your Full Metal Superhero series. Um, it's, which is, well, why am I going to explain it for you? can explain <laughs> what's, what's, what's that show? What's that series about? Well, first, I'd love it if it was a show. <laughs> Please, uh, maybe I'm, I'm open to that. Lips to God's maybe, ears. maybe I'm I'm just t- prophetically yes. saying that. <laughs> uh, the Full Metal Superhero is it's not the first book I wrote. I wrote it's chronologically it's like the like the fifth. I wrote uh, a trilogy a couple years ago under a pen name that got picked up by Kindle Scout, and I wrote a couple of novellas, and then I wrote uh, a science fiction book that is actually going to come out probably in May. And then I wrote Arsenal, which is the first book in the Full Metal Superhero series. And when I first wrote it, I, it was really just, um, I love superheroes, right? The first, my first attempt at a real novel was a superhero novel and it didn't pan out too well. But, um, I learned a lot in between 2011 and 2017 when I, or 2016 when I wrote Arsenal. And so I, I put all that into play and I, I did two or three drafts. The first draft, I think I wrote in nine days. That's how excited I was to, to wow. write that book. And it's 62,000 words, I think, is what it ended up being. And uh, I think the full, well, beginning to end, I think I probably spent 15 days of actual writing. Uh, that's, the story just came out of me. It was something, clearly something I wanted to say and do. Well, that's cool when that happens. Yes. So, you know, the character, the main character, uh, Arsenal, she's... She's a little different. She's sort of like Iron Man in some ways, but she's very different. Otherwise, how'd you come up with that character? Uh, Amelia Lockhart is her name. And <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> there, thank you. Uh, there's nothing accidental about the names uh, in my books. There's a scientific study that happened a couple of years ago that found that people with A names are more popular than people with B names. Hmm. And the f- further you get away from A, the less popular you are. That explains a so, lot of high school. That's why people are so <laughs> biased to Zartan on G.I. Joe, you know? <laughs> She's misunderstood. You misunderstood mass murderer. I know. I get it. <laughs> Who love gold, right? No, Where's the gold, Who Cobra Commander? Really? Right? <laughs> I'm wearing my G.I. Joe hoodie right now. If you saw it on oh. video, you'd know. <laughs> awesome. 
Um, I saw I it at Walmart for ten bucks today. So. Oh, I love Lady J. Yeah. Lady J. and Flint. I love those two. Mm-hmm. Scarlet and Snake Eyes were my couple. Oh, I was um, Lady J. and Flint shipper. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so Amelia Lockhart is uh, I named her because of Amelia Earhart. Yes, and that's I'm, what I was hoping. <laughs> I'm a huge. I I grew up wanting to be a pilot, uh, among other things, and an explorer, and you know. It, Star Trek was a huge influence on me, Captain Kirk, and going into the unknown. And Amelia Earhart kind of represented all of that when I was a kid. Obviously, she was dead long before I was born. But just the idea of her and what she did and what she accomplished with, you know, uh, a piece of paper and a pencil, mm-hmm. you know, and some cardboard and an engine just, you know, blew me away. So um, she was an inventor. She was, a, she was an explorer. She was an adventurer. And that's what uh, Amelia Lockhart is. She's an inventor, adventurer, and explorer. I hate to digress, but have you seen the, did you see in the news about how they now think that the remains that were discovered just a few years after she disappeared and were actually thrown away and discarded, dismissed as had to have been a European man, now they think were actually Amelia Earhart's on this yeah. atoll. It was, uh, you know, her and her navigator and they dismissed it because they thought it was too tall and this and that, but she was taller than the average woman at the time. She's like five seven. And, uh, I was uh, I was yeah. disappointed to hear that too. Yeah. So it's like so it's like what do you mean? First, I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean discarded them? Like threw them away? They don't just they didn't bury them. I mean, even though it wasn't a famous person, it was still a person. You know, I was kind of surprised yeah. at that. Well, you know, but we'll, we'll see. There's not you know who knows. Yeah, who but knows? in all fairness to the guy, you know, it's not like you know they had the the know how about. You know, learning the, you know, he had limited knowledge at the time, you know. So. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the fact that they found him at all was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> totally accidental, actually. I still believe Star Trek Voyager. She was abducted by aliens <laughs> and they'll find her in the future. I keep hoping for that. <laughs> I always thought uh, she was just still in the Bermuda Triangle and pop out and it would only have been like a day for her, you know, or something. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I kind of wish that with a lot of people. <laughs> um, have some great people come back to life and, and yes. help us out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Amelia uh, Amelia Lockhart is very much, um, you know, uh, historically speaking, she's uh, she's Amelia Earhart, she's Howard Hughes, you know, she's all these different characters who were uh, inventors and adventurers, and uh, she's an engineer, obviously, as well. And then the name Arsenal uh, came about because I was trying to come up with a cool name that that wasn't necessarily taken. With 70, 80 years of, of DC and Marvel comic books, it's hard to find a superhero name that isn't been used. Yeah. And Arsenal has been used, but it's by a really lesser-known character that nobody likes. So it worked out. <laughs> and then uh, Full Metal Superhero is because I, uh, I read an article. I read a lot, by the way. Uh, I read an article a couple of years back by uh, Terry Elliott and Ted Rosio. Gosh, I hope I didn't back up their names. Sometimes I do that. Is it Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio? Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio, the guys who wrote <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh-huh. He was talking about, uh, it was Terry, and he was talking about, because we're on a first name basis, not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was talking about mental real estate, about how when you are writing something, the, le- the less you have to do to get people to, to associate your idea with something else, the better. Mm. So I don't, particularly like anime a whole lot, but I know it's, I understand and realize it's popular. And so, uh, one of the most popular animes that all my friends who do like anime are always talking about is full metal Al- alchemist. Yes. Yeah. 
And so I chose Full Metal Superhero to sort of, you know, when people would see it, they'd be like, oh, hey, that looks familiar. I want to try that out mm-hmm. subconsciously. You know, so that's that's where all the names come from. Yeah, that's cool. cool. I think that's good good marketing. Nobody says in the story, Full Metal Superhero, you know, they. Yeah. It, but it's a good series name. But for... I also have to say, I love that, you know, her name is Arsenal and she didn't get some, that you didn't sort of like give her some like flying metal chick, you know, lady princess flying. <laughs> Iron <machine>. Maiden. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, she's a, a woman superhero who just manages to have like a really cool name, you know, that, like that you would give to a, a male superhero without thinking. Despite what um, the Simpsons would have you, have you believe, not everybody who read comics was an overweight, sexist, misogynist pig. <laughs> hey, I'm married you know. to one who spent much of his childhood reading and he's not so i know <laughs> yeah so i love superheroes of all stripes i have uh i, re- I learned to read on amazing spider-man uh, i was a kid in in oregon and they didn't have uh, preschool there when i was there and so i was too young to start mm-hmm. first grade and so i had to wait a while to start and i would go to the store with my parents and i was you know six years old and they'd have the, the spinner racks of comics they don't have anymore and and, you know, back then, I say back then, it was 1979, um, comics were 35 cents. And so I'd pick up comics and I'd look at them. I didn't know how to read them, but I wanted to know how to read them. And so I spent a lot of time teaching myself to read just by looking at Spider-Man and trying to say what he was saying. And, and uh, consequently, Amazing Spider-Man is one of my – he's my superhero and he's, uh, he's my biggest influence in, uh, in my life, really, Excellent. not just my writing life. <laughs> Yeah, right? You know, Peter Parker. I mean, you can't do much better than that. Yeah. Yeah. So the book series, I really like it because it does feel like a comic book. You know, it has a lot of action and such. And I think it's interesting that you said that you used to want to be a pilot because I noticed you're very descriptive about the experience of her flying and, like, you know, the different maneuvers she makes when she's flying. And yeah. Stuff. So it's, it's interesting that you say that because I'm like, wow, he knows a lot about how airplanes fly. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm reading book two right now, and she's flying, and it was talking about how dry the air is, so it wouldn't leave any any uh, any contrails or whatever in oh, the mm-hmm. air and such. And, and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. So um, there's two kinds of there's two kinds of science you can do. You know, I mean, there's there's um you can make up a fictional science for your universe, and then you could just do whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can base your and this can be fantasy or science fiction. You can base your science in reality. But if you base, if you choose to base your science in reality, the further those little details that you get wrong, mm. the less people will consciously believe what is going on. And so, though there's lots of stuff that happens, especially in the later books, that I would I would deem super science. There's a kernel of truth in almost everything. So when I'm doing little things like she's flying through the air, or when she's talking about scientific principles, those should all be spot on. Those smarter people than me may say, um, "No, you know, you got all that wrong." <laughs> <laughs> um, how how difficult do you find it to? Because um, you have to balance the you've got to get the the science of it right, but also you need and you need to explain it to people who are reading it who may not have the base level of knowledge you have. So you have to explain it. How hard is it to get that description in there and the explanations in there? And make it make sense while still be entertaining and not taking them out of the story 
by making it start to feel kind of like, okay, now I got to go look online and study this, you know, instead of, you know, taking them out of the story and, and distracting. How, how easy, how hard is that to, to accomplish for you? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, there's things that I really, really enjoy. Uh, like, like Mark said, flying. I mean, I wanted to be a pilot. I was in the army, uh, for a long time and huh. I didn't fly or anything. I was just a, a grunt, but, uh, I love military stuff and I love uh, the superhero and the science part of it. So to me, I have to remind myself that the cardinal rule is give them the barest amount possible that they need to know while giving them a little bit of detail so they feel like they learned something. Mm-hmm. That's really important to me. When, when, when things happen to Amelia and there's a scientific reason for it, it isn't just an explosion. It is a 13 kiloton explosion. It isn't, it isn't just an energy transfer. It's a kinetic energy transfer or it's a, or it's a electron energy transfer. And it's sort of like a, you know, I don't have to explain to you what a kinetic energy transfer is because everybody knows what kinetic energy is, but it sounds scientific. (laughs) And, you know, um, the way her shields work and the way her, her technology works, uh, I explain it a little bit as she uses it and as I feel like you need to do it. And I learned this. Uh, actually, not from writing. I learned it from playing role-playing games for so long as the mm-hmm. DM. Is when you're. Um, I, I don't know if you two have a lot of experience playing RPGs, but oh, a little bit. You <laughs> sound like you do, but I didn't want to presume. And, yes. and, and you know, yeah. when your DM is 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 running the game, and I was always the DM because I would I would let other people DM, and I wouldn't have very much fun. So I was like, no, no, let me DM. <laughs> And everybody would have a great time, and the way you would know it is is that you'd be talking about something, and you would start to see people's eyes glass over. Yeah. And you'd be like, you know, I've gone too far. Time for something to blow up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so years of that kind of – it's funny because years of that kind of taught me how to, how to have a scene, have exposition, but not too much. Have a scene, have explanation, but not too much. Because, you know, the cardinal sin is the info dump, right? You don't want to mm-hmm. – you know, Amelia gets punched by White Rhino in the first book. Now let me spend ten pages explaining to you how her armor absorbed all that energy. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's not. That's that's. You don't need to know that right now. You need to know that she has kinetic shields that are based on kinetic manipulators, and she has an AI that helps her. Mm-hmm. And and then I'll un- I unpack all of that throughout the whole book because every piece of technology that she has, like a lot of times in real life, is all based on one advance. Mm. So. Everything that has to do with her suit, everything that has to do with her weapons, it's all based on one advance, which is her kinetic manipulators. So I explained one thing, and then everything is explained. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I think you do a good job yeah. with it, because I really like how how throughout the story, especially in the first book, where she's like, oh, this messed up, I should do this upgrade now yeah. to help fi- <laughs> you know, fix for this situation. And so she's constantly tinkering and evolving her, her suit and such. Which you don't see very often in superheroes because yeah. a lot of times it just get up, boom, we got our powers and that's it, you know. But I like that. I like when the, the superheroes, honestly, their their main huge ability is their brain. That they're smart enough to adapt and, and keep adapting and keep learning and, and be a step ahead because of that. I like that. Well, if I told you, if I asked you what Superman's greatest powers would be, you probably say something like his invulnerability or his speed or his heat vision because Superman has a lot of powers. And mm-hmm. if I asked you, you know, what Batman's superpowers are, not mm-hmm. that he has any, he's rich. but it would be that he's rich. <laughs> you know, I, I did like that movie, by the way, just before I'm going to get that out there. Um, but if we go to Spider-Man, 
his greatest power isn't his strength or his speed or even his intellect. It is his unwavering desire to, no matter what, do the right thing yes. and not stop until it gets done. Uh, did you guys see Spider-Man Homecoming? No, not yet. No, not yet. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to pause the podcast. You're going to go watch it. <laughs> and you're going to come back. But I have um, I like a I like a good like I guess white hat superhero. I like the what, you know, they're going to do the me right too. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Spidey is the best example of it because everybody knows with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. And because everybody knows it when you're when you're writing something like that, you can't necessarily say it anymore. Um, they said it in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies so much that, that they didn't want to say it in the new one, and they didn't. But every scene in that movie that has Peter Parker make a decision, that phrase is implicit in it. Mm-hmm. Every decision. He has to choose between what he wants and what he needs. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Peter, no matter what, no matter how beat up he gets and no matter how hurt he gets, he chooses to do the right thing regardless of the consequences, that is his greatest power. And for Amelia, that's what I wanted. I wanted... A superhero who, when you looked at her, you didn't see her suit of armor. You didn't see her technology or her money or her you know, unbelievable superpowers. You saw a girl who was going to get her parents back and she was going to make the people who took them pay mm-hmm. no matter what. No, her character, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, she's actually disabled. Mm-hmm. She can't walk. How much research did you do about that situation? And how did you come about that decision yeah. that that was an important aspect of the character? Well, let me take it in reverse order. I'll, ask, I'll answer Julie's question first because she's got a better voice than you, Marks. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I thank you. Um, so uh, when I wrote, when I first wrote Amelia, the, when I did the first draft, she wasn't actually disabled. And so as I was writing it, I felt like there was something missing from the story. Not that being disabled or having any kind of difference or otherness about you is a story per se, but I wanted to add depth to the character by removing things from her mm-hmm. um a lot that's why a lot of times you see characters in in fiction are are uh you know, they have no parents or yeah you know they had a hard life things were taken from them and because that makes characters more interesting and i am not someone who likes to look around and say well what has everybody else done i'm just going to do that mm-hmm. um i don't believe in originality i don't think there is such a thing as original i think there's only the only thing original about you as a writer is your voice uh, everything else is something that's been done. There's a verse in the Bible that says there's nothing new under the sun. And that was written right. <laughs> 2,400 years ago, you know. Um, so I looked around and I said, okay, what what have we done here? So there aren't a lot of superhero prose books, first of all. I don't know if you guys have looked at the genre on Amazon, but yeah. Yeah. there just isn't. There there aren't a lot. And they kind of fall into two categories. And one of those categories is the ones that take them serious. And one of those categories is the ones that don't. And, and we won't talk about the ones that don't because – they don't, they don't sell very well. But the <laughs> ones that do take them serious, you, they kind of fall into two sections, um, male protagonists or female protagonists, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to use the word strong female protagonist because we don't say Thank strong you. male protagonist, right? Yes. That's, th- I mean, you have yeah. To, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. That's a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> right. I could, I, could, I could talk about that a lot. Not yeah, that I'm we, a, we should just know, have a special on that. You and I will just get together. And <laughs> <laughs> not that anything I write is politically motivated because it isn't. This is just the way I see the world. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, have, you have protagonists. Some of them are women and some of them are men. And there is a way you write a protagonist. And while everybody, you know, only a blind fool would think there's no thing different between men and women, there isn't anything different between protagonists. Protagonists have to have certain abilities. They have to have certain 
things that happen to them. Mm-hmm. And they have to have certain ways they deal with it. Uh, we don't write about cowards because nobody likes cowards. Right. Uh, you know, even if it's completely understandable, even mm-hmm. if uh, even if they're in the middle of a horrible war and you understand why they're they act the way they act, mm-hmm. you still don't like them. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's how I kind of approached Amelia was is okay. How can I make Amelia different? How can I how can I take things away from her? And I was looking at the genre as a whole. And one of my favorite superhero books is Wearing the Cape by Marion G. Harmon, and it is the standard Supergirl superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a – you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Waifu. You know, there's a, a, a tiny girl. She's imbued with incredible powers, Superman-like powers. Mm-hmm. Tell a story. Okay, mm-hmm. it's great. I love it. She's awesome. I like the character a lot. She's, she's uh, peppy. And uh, she's my kind of character in the sense that she's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's, yeah. you know, she's very, I'm going to ask questions and you're going to give me answers. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones are the male heroes. And believe it or not, which this totally surprised me, is when you look at the male heroes, there are no Superman books. Or very few, I should say. There's a couple. But the, of the ones that do well, most of the male heroes are armored heroes or inventors of some kind. Hmm. And so I realized, I was thinking like, okay, so... One of the things that we don't like, and I'm sorry if this is taking so long, but one of the things I don't like is let me give a character an attribute and then focus the entire story around the fact that they have an attribute that they can't control. Right. You know, that's, that's not life. <laughs> right. That, that's not life. I mean, if everything great about you is the color of your hair or 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 your height, then that's not anything you had anything to do with. Right. And superpowers are kind of like that. You get the luck of the draw. Okay, you're indestructible and you can fly and you have heat vision. Awesome for you. But Amelia, she built her powers. Mm -hmm. And so that means she's smart. And her smart is not a superpower. It is something she – in the first book she even tells uh, Kate Petronelli, her best friend, I didn't do anything any other engineer couldn't do. I just did it six times faster. Mm -hmm. So automatically, you know, instead of having the male superheroes who are the armored builders – and the girl superheroes who just happen to have super, you know, powerful uh, powers. I wanted her to be someone who was smart and clever and oblivious in some ways to a lot of things, as often people are in the in the real world. Yeah. You know, they you're really great at one thing and just terrible at another. That's my <laughs> wife. I'm I'm awful at certain things. So yeah, so that's where I came up with it. There were no armored superheroes that were female. And I didn't want to make something that somebody else had already done. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to make Amelia armored. She's going to be super smart. And then as I was working through it, I was like, okay, well, what else can I take away from her? And as I came up with her origin, and, you know, spoiler alert, she's in a car accident when she's six. And she, her back is broken. I thought, okay, so here's this little girl. Her back is broken. Her, everybody's telling her her parents are dead. Everybody's telling her she'll never walk again. Everybody's telling her that her life is over. And she's going to say, no, my parents aren't dead. I will walk again. And you're all wrong. And I'm not going to give up until I have those things. And mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, I yeah. love And I was like, that's where it is. And so, and to answer Marx's question, I did a ton of research. Because I'm not a disabled person, but I don't believe you have to be something to write something. I believe you just have to be diligent and do your research and interviews. And, and so I did. I found people who are disabled and I talked to them. I found a wonderful blog. I can't remember the name of the man, and I'm so sorry, buddy. Uh, but he wrote all about <laughs> like, like the myths of being disabled, and turns out that there is no one real, there's no one real back injury that makes you uh, not be able to walk. There's mm-hmm. it's like a hundred different back injuries. Mm. 
Um, and there is no, uh, you're hurt here. You can't feel anything ever again because apparently yeah. you can. Um, there was this blog by this woman who was disabled and she talked about how one of the questions she gets all the time is, 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 um, how come you're married? How do you have kids? How is this possible? And she's like, well, believe it or not, it, not being able to walk doesn't mean you can't feel anything. Mm. Uh-huh. And so it was all really interesting. So I tried to put all of that into the into the first book. So yeah, there's some romance in the first book between Amelia and um, one of the other superheroes. His name is Major Force, and uh, Luke. So it's all in there. And I did a ton of research because I wanted it to be absolutely correct. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my people who follows me on Facebook on my Facebook page, for my author page, sent me a message and said he gave the books to his mother as a Christmas present. She's been in a wheelchair since she was 17, and she cried reading them and said that it was so wonderful to read. And oh, that, cool. to me, I, you know, day made. I, 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 have, I have, these books have served the right purpose now. Yeah. I, well, and I love, I love how, how you put that because I, I feel the same way. It's like, you know, characters are characters. But when you talk about a protagonist, it's like, you know, it's like, well, it's a strong female. No, you should have a strong protagonist. Now, sometimes that protagonist is a man, sometimes it's a woman, sometimes they're healthy, sometimes they have an illness, sometimes they have physical limitations, sometimes they have dyslexia, sometimes they have asthma. But, you know, you should have a strong protagonist, but then they're people, so they're going to have, you know, one or other gender, or they're going to have, you know other foibles and issues that people have, but they should still be a strong protagonist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're strong because of the, of the, of the things that you overcome, not because of some imbued Mm. trait. And I know the last few years it's been really popular to have, like, I love Gina Carano. She's awesome. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but she's a MMA star who did a couple of movies and she's like six foot tall and can bench press a bus. <laughs> yeah. And you, th- those are really great. And I'm glad to see those, but not every woman can be that. And not every man can be that. Right. So um, here's Amelia. She's five foot six, five foot eight when she's in her armor. She's, um, 145 pounds soaking wet. And outside of her armor, She's slightly stronger than a normal person because she has her wheels that she's moving around. Mm-hmm. She refuses to have an electric wheelchair because she likes the freedom that you know pushing her chair gives her. Mm-hmm. But knock out her out of her chair, and she, the best she can do is crawl, and that does actually happen to her. Mm-hmm. But what makes her strong is her will, her desire to to see it done, to get it done. Yeah. And and to me, that is that's not something that you're just born with. That's something you have to build yourself. It's something that develops through your yeah. life if you let it. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that she's a woman, you know, I have I read a lot. I think I mentioned that. And and at a certain point, I was like, okay, I love all these characters. I love the Belgariad. I love uh, Lord of the Rings. I love all the Star Trek novels. I have Captain Kirk all day long. <laughs> but I'm getting a little tired of reading about guys. I'd like to start <laughs> reading about women. Yeah. And so uh Katniss Everdeen is one of my favorite characters ever because she's a lot like Amelia her just her desire to move forward and, and not 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 give up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Marvel Comics but there's a character named Miss Marvel who's now uh-huh. Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And at one point she had all of her memories stripped from her and she had to find who she mm-hmm. her traits inside not not powers that they have. And so because I read so much I think I can look at any character whether it be Peter Parker or Worf or Kilk or um Katniss Everdeen or Captain Janeway, 
and I can see things about them yeah. and I could be like, I want to be like that. But not, not everybody can, and I'm not putting down anybody who can't because there's legitimate reasons why some people, when they look at a character, if the character isn't close enough to them, they can't really do that. And I totally understand it. But I wanted someone who, who maybe isn't me to read this book mm-hmm. and think, wow, that could be me. I could, I, I could do that. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm in a wheelchair, but I could be Tony Stark. I don't have to be rich and a womanizer and an alcoholic. To be a, a, a drunk, charismatic womanizing. One of my uh, one of my author friends who also writes superhero. Her name is Karen Diem, and she writes uh, this book called Super. Uh, she she said it really great. She's like, "Oh, do you like Tony Stark? Except for the fact that he's a drunk billionaire, womanizing billionaire. Then you're gonna love Arsenal." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. (laughs) The world of Arsenal feels very full of life. You know, there's a lot of characters that appear and things that get mentioned about the world. Uh, How much of that did you do in advance or how much of it was on the fly as you were writing the first book? I am, um, I'm a pantser. (laughs) I wish I wasn't (laughs) because I want to write longer books. I want to write 100,000 word books. I want to write 150,000 word books, but I... Most of my best ideas come when I'm writing. So I wanted to, when I was writing the book, I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about how superpowers came along because I think if you talk too much about how the superpowers happened, then that opens the door for people to, to be like, oh, that's stupid. We don't do that with Marvel movies. Take some we, of the magic out of it, yeah. Yeah, and we don't do that with DC movies because they have been around for so long that you don't question the fact that Superman is an alien from another planet. You don't question that Bruce Wayne can do what he do. You don't question that it's a spider bit Peter and now he's got powers because collectively in our collective unconsciousness that has existed since before pretty much most of us were born. Yeah. So if I had like an event happen, you know, like 10 years ago, the world shuddered and all of a sudden people had superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> so I very carefully alluded to some event that happened a long time before uh, in the first book, and then in the second book, I go into it a little bit more once people were bought in. Yeah. And uh, and it had to do with something that is actually really famous in our own history, which is Tesla. So, mm. um, and before, of course, that ties it into science too, because Tesla was a genius and he was a scientist and an engineer. Yeah. Oh yeah. So to answer your question, I do not come up a lot with a lot of this beforehand. Most of it's come up while I'm writing, and sometimes I'll come up with something. I'll think, hey, that's pretty cool, and then two chapters later, I'll be like, oh, this is better. And then I have to go back and change everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works well because it has a nice flow to it. And it feels – it really does capture the comic book feel of just constant action and moving to the next thing and the next thing. And that makes it an enjoyable read. So let's talk a little bit more about superhero genre, especially in, in books because I've only recently – well, except for wild cards. I've read that off and on for a lot of years. But only last – year year and a half have i start really looking for novels that have original superhero stories that aren't like media tie-ins or whatever mm-hmm. so uh so you know it's, i find it it's an interesting genre it's you know there aren't a lot of books and if you look at amazon's superhero genre category it's a it's a mess <laughs> it's like yeah, over it's the place. mostly bare-chested bear shifters you know <laughs> and uh urban fantasy because yeah, it's an easy Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's an easy category to hit number one in uh-huh. because right now my fourth book, which is Alien Arsenal, is 38 in that category, even though it's ranked 6,000. If I removed every book ahead of it that wasn't a superhero book, 
uh, Alien Arsenal will be seventh in the category. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that tells you how well the category is managed. <laughs> yeah, you said bear shit. I, I have only fairly recently been told about there's this whole werebear thing I did not know about. Um, I don't know if you guys know Lindsay Broker or if you've ever had her on the show. And if you haven't, you should because she's quite an amazing indie author. She's kind of a, a an icon to indie authors. But she, uh, I was talking to her, and she's like, oh, yeah, it's always a sad day when the bear shifters move in to your category. <laughs> <laughs> because they will be number five in the whole store. Oh and you're God. not beating that. You're just not going to beat it. I just had no idea that was such a thing. I'd never, I mean, I mean, I assumed, I guess, you know, there's werewolves and where this and where mm-hmm. that. I mean, I guess I logically figured there must be a werebear but i didn't realize this was a thing well now it's uh now the big thing is dragon shifters oh is really it? are you serious i'm like yeah. now two wares behind <laughs> Probably, <laughs> you know yeah the uh thing is is 80 percent of all books sold are romance books oh. and that is not a number you'll ever hear from traditional publishing because essentially when indie publishing happened all the writers over at Harlequin just jumped ship because they were being treated so badly. And so now they all write indie books and 80% of all books bought are romance books. So you throw in paranormal romance and you get, you get most of the categories get flooded with these, these amazingly talented writers who are writing fantastic stories that people want to read. Yeah. I I wasn't aware of, aware, (laughs) aware of all that, but um, (laughs) yeah, I was going to say, Hey, I'm all for if, if, writers if employees are not being treated the way they ought to be and you find a way to do it yourself more power to you that's for sure yeah traditional publishers are going to have to step up their game yeah oh gosh we could do a whole show on that (laughs) i feel like they are uh you know i'm going to shout out to bain because i the other day i'm a big fan of honor harrington and i wanted to read the book again and but i don't buy paper books anymore because i grew up and i have to move every once in a while <laughs> yeah. and uh i don't do that anymore i don't carry those huge boxes of books yeah, we so learned, i went to... it's like moving a library when we moved. especially if you right. have role playing game books they're oh, heavy yes <laughs> right which don't work on the kindle unfortunately but uh mm-hmm. so i went to go buy honor harrington uh, at basilisk station which is by david weber it's a fantastic military sci-fi book and it was free and I was like, oh, go Bain, because yeah. that is an indie technique. And Bain is a family-owned publisher, even, and I don't think they're one of the big five, but they're, they're pretty big. So, uh, so some of them are catching on. Some of them are doing pretty good. But most of, most of them are, they're just a big industry. They're slow to move, and they have the attitude of, this is the way it's always been done, so this is the way it always well, will be done. There's a lot of people that have that, that mentality, so it's they, yeah. they're, in, they're in a lot of company. Sure. Maybe not good company, but a lot of company. <laughs> yeah. Well, so talking about superhero genre, what do you feel are some conventions, tropes, traits, whatever you want to call them, that are must-haves to be yeah. superhero? Because I, I hear people will debate quite a bit that Buffy the Vampire Slayer should be considered a superhero. You know, What's your feelings about that? Oh, uh-huh. I love Buffy. Don't get me wrong, I but never, no, she's I never not a considered superhero. her one. I'm and I we we're huge Buffy fans too. Right, and um, you know, here's the thing: if I tell you the word superhero, what's the first thing you think of? Uh, Batman, Superman, Batman, and, Superman, yeah. Spider Man. You know, um, Black Widow. You know, you you think of these characters from the movies, and what do these characters all have in common? They have superpowers for the most part, or they have something that emulates superpowers. They have costumes and they have code names. So at the bare minimum, if you're writing a superhero novel, in my opinion, and, I, and, and opinions do vary on this subject, believe me, 
if you don't have those three things, three things, you're not writing a superhero novel. You're writing something else. And there are a lot of prose books in the superhero field where the writer didn't want to write a superhero novel because that's stupid. But he wanted the superhero mm. crowd to read his book. And so he wrote a book about a private detective in a world with superpowers. This is not anybody in specific. Mm -hmm. I'm just making this up. But the character doesn't have superpowers. Or they write about superpowers, but nobody has code names or costumes. You know, it is, uh, it is every superhero movie made before 2008. <laughs> it is Green Lantern <laughs> of 2011. It is people who want your money because they want you to, you to buy their product, but they are ashamed or embarrassed to be doing it because they don't think it's serious. And if you can't treat the material serious, your readers will know that you're not treating the material serious yeah. and they I mean, won't buy your product. I'm wrong, but like, according to some, because like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not putting Buffy down by saying, cause I love, I'm a huge Buffy fan, but you know, things like that, cause it was magic and it didn't have those other, you know, the costumes and this, I've always, I've always considered those things to be more urban fantasy, you know? So it is urban I, fantasy. Absolutely. Me, Buffy is urban I've fantasy. always made that distinction. I'm like, you know, Dresden files is urban fantasy, you know? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, superheroes do tackle similar themes. There's also, there's a lot of similar themes, but ultimately at the end of the day, your superhero needs to be a good guy. Mm -hmm. He needs to live to the end mm -hmm. and you know, he needs to wear a costume and have a code name. Yeah. And, a lot of people will then tell me, take me to take me to the skiff and say, "Oh, but what about Alan Moore's Watchmen?" You know, and I will say that there is one comic in the last thirty-five years that did that, and it was Watchmen. Mm -hmm. And there are no continuous runs of comic books filled with bad people wearing costumes doing bad things that you can't stand. Yeah, you know, I I did actually enjoy reading the Watchmen, but I enjoyed it right up until the last page. Then I hated it because my favorite character was Rorschach. And I won't spoil it for anybody, but the only good guy in the entire comic is Rorschach. Yeah. And so the to me that's not a superhero story. That's a that's any story you get anywhere else in any other genre. Uh yeah. nihilism, you know, the the idea that nothing you do matters, mm -hmm. that everybody is corruptible, everybody is bad. And that's just not why I read superheroes. No, superheroes there's a, there has to be a certain level of hope. I yes. think for it that for it perfect. to work. Because I mean it <laughs> If there's no hope, then why are you strapping on the costume and going to the trouble with the code names and, <laughs> and doing the right, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, superheroes, they got to have hope. And in my mind, a superhero does the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Yeah. And that's you know, regardless of the cause. And that's why they do it. They don't do it to achieve this other certain goal. Necess I mean, they may be achieving other goals. But doing the right thing, the reason you do it is because it's the right thing. And you can have a gamut of, of, of ranges of characters in your book. Maybe right. there's some superheroes are in it for the money or whatever. But your main character better be a superhero. Maybe some have lost the faith at some point. You know, yeah. I mean, but yeah. your main character, your main character better inspire. Your main character better be a superhero because that's what people are there to read. Nobody right. goes to read. Nobody reads Spider-Man comics so they can read Black Cat for 18 pages, mope around, and because she's the bad guy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's like fantasy of grimdark, that, that Watchmen's grimdark take. Yeah. I wonder if that's mm -hmm. why superheroes have become so popular in recent years is because so yeah. many people feel like they, they, give have us to hope. Get, they have to get the hope in fiction. Because yeah. we're not getting it anywhere else, you know, as, in as large a doses. And the way things are going, it's like we need that. You, you, you need it to survive. So this is filling a need. 
Yeah, I never thought Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Because so much fiction right now is very dark. It's, an, it's a thing to be dark. Except it has for been for superheroes. I mean, and I like, it in, I like it in small doses, but I don't want everything I watch to be that. I mean, mm-hmm. or read or anything. I mean, good God. You know, I mean, like like you mentioned, Watchmen. I remember when I watched that movie, I was like, that was good, but I don't want to see it again. No, right? Like, <laughs> I, enjoy, like I watched it. I was like, that was a really good movie. And it's not that I hated. I mean, I enjoyed it. I'd recommend someone to see it, but it's not one I'm going to go back and. You know, but however, I can watch V for Vendetta, and the the final scene of watching at home on TV when it gets to the final scene, I'm on my feet cheering. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's funny is is that you say that about Watchmen because then DC went and gave him Superman. If there was ever a character that is about hope, that is about that's what we inspiration. Were so it's Superman, yeah. and then he took that character, and the whole reason, from what I've read, the whole reason he, he didn't finish Justice League was because Superman was going to be the villain in the movie, yeah. and it was just like, no, you're not taking our billion-dollar-a-year character and making him the villain. Yeah, and I was, so you I, can, we never understood the whole that whole decision. Yeah. And you can tell the scenes that Joss Whedon filmed in, in, uh, in Justice League because yeah. Superman's actually Superman. He smiles, yeah. and he, he makes what? you feel good. Yeah. And, really? And, yeah. It, Anyways, he, I he may have a must, but, invisible mustache too. Yeah, but, <laughs> I won't say that's a perfect movie, um, but it, 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 I, I did enjoy it. So hope, yeah, hope is a big deal. You know, it is. You, have yeah. characters that inspire, have characters that rise above their challenges, and bring others with them. Yeah, those are all things that you need to have in your superhero novel. If you want to write a grim dark detective novel, write a grim dark detective novel. Leave superheroes out of it. Right. You can um, write a write the hell out of an urban fantasy with Grim yeah. Dark. In it. So yeah, so I mean, if you're gonna write a superhero novel, you know, it has to be a superhero. They have to have a costume. They need to have a code name, even if they never use it. They have to have those things, yeah. and it needs to be a world, you know, where where superheroes are real. And if you don't love superheroes, if you haven't read comics, if you're only doing it because you want to write to market, which is not a bad thing, then you better you better do your research because. People who read it are people who've been reading comic books their whole life. Yeah. And you might think you're doing something really original by having your hero actually be a bad guy. You're not. Mm, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> so I hope that answers. I hope that answers your question, Marks. Yeah, yeah. Is this subgenre superhero in novels? Do you feel this is a growing subgenre, or is it just kind of just just a few outliers? I have a lot of people telling me that uh, oh, it's going to explode any day now, and I, I just don't know. I have a friend, uh, Jason Soprano, J.A. Soprano. He writes a lot of urban fantasy and lit RPG. And he just recently released a superhero novel called um, Superhuman. And uh, I read it. It was really great. He usually routinely gets under 100 on the Amazon store when he releases a novel. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a USA Today bestselling author. And he's you know really good. And he hit 350. And he was messaging me. He's like, all superhero genre sucks. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's a limited, it, you're a much more limited audience because not only are you looking for people who read comic books, mm-hmm. but you're looking for people who read comic books who also want to read that in prose form. Uh-huh. And so you have a limited audience. Despite the fact that all these movies are coming out, they haven't really increased sales in comic books a whole lot. In fact, comic book sales are down more than they've ever been at Marvel for a whole host of reasons having nothing to do with movies. But... Um, <laughs> I'm so it just strikes me there's a bit of a parallel. It's like, you know, a superhero has to do what they do because they love it and that's what they want to do and it, it's almost like in order to write a superhero novel that has to be the reason that you do it. 
You love it, right? Yeah, and so I mean, you have you have to really share that trait with your protagonist in order to just do even go ahead and do it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And some genres can kind of fake it a little, not a lot, mind you, because you do need to love what you write because it goes it comes through when you don't. But yeah. superheroes specifically, if you don't love superheroes, if you don't take them serious, if you think they're stupid, then that's going to come through in your writing. And I've read enough comics that or enough superhero prose novels that you get one of two things: you get people who do the, do that all right but maybe they're not the strongest writers in the world or you get the people who don't know this. And so they're treating superhero novels like it's a Saturday morning cartoon. And so like the hero will land and go, don't worry, Mr. Miracle will save you. And, and you know, and it's just like, and I'm just rolling my eyes and thinking, have you ever even read a comic? Yeah, (laughs) probably not. So, and you also write for Kindle worlds. I saw. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So for people who might not know what Kindle worlds is, can you tell them a little bit about how that works and uh, and what your experience has been like sure absolutely uh, yeah i'd love to there's two uh kindle programs that i have been fortunate enough to be involved in one of them is kindle worlds and one of them is kindle scout um kindle scout is their program where you put up a book and if if uh, if they like it they'll select it after a process and you get published by amazon which i did um, and then that opened a door for me to be involved with some of the people behind the scenes at Amazon. And because of that, I found out about Kindle Worlds, which is this awesome program where essentially they license people's worlds um, and you can and anybody can write in them. Uh, I got in on the ground floor with uh, Jay Allen, who is a military science fiction writer, um, and he writes uh, – he, he sold over 800,000 novels. Hmm. And he was – opening his Kindle worlds to his military sci-fi universe. And so I wrote a, a novella, a 12,000-word novella called Retreat Hell uh, about a sniper in his world. And then Lindsay Broker opened up a world for Fallen Empires, which is her best-selling military science fiction novel series. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to write two novellas for that one. That well, The sequel one's a sequel to the other. So it's a lot of fun because you get to play in somebody else's world and you get paid to do it. And... <laughs> You know, the that's kind of a win-win situation. So my Fallen Empire ones are a stand for honor and a stand for freedom. And uh, there's some romance in them because I think there should be some romance in everything. Just like there should be some action in everything mm-hmm. and some drama. And then my Crimson World one, of course, is Retreat treat Hell. So Jay Allen writes Crimson Worlds and Lindsay writes Fallen Empires. But there's tons of them on there. There's a Vampire Diary one. There's a G.I. Joe one. There's a um, G.I. Joe one? Ooh. Yeah. When they first started the program, they were trying to license a lot of mainstream stuff. But I think that uh, as a lot of times it happens in a big company, somebody else came along and decided that's not what the direction they wanted to go. But once you make a license deal like that, it sticks around for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you just Google Kindle Worlds, you'll go right to it and you'll see all the different worlds. Anybody can write into it and cool. earn a percentage of what you sell it for. And what you sell it for is what how they determine it based on how long it is. So. Okay. And so you get a percentage. Does the author, the creator of the actual mm-hmm. setting, get some money too? So let's just say you sell it for a dollar. You get you get thirty cents. The author gets fifty cents, and Amazon gets the rest. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, um, I keep uh, I keep hoping they'll come to me and say, "Hey, do you want to start a, a, a Full Metal Superhero universe?" Yeah, I'd be sure. like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, though, as a best-selling author. So. I, I do pretty good. I'm I'm probably, well, until my friend released his novel this month, I probably was the best-selling author in superheroes. But uh, <laughs> but that's not saying a ton. I do good. Don't get me wrong. It's it's it's. But it's not. A, I'm not making you know six figures just yet. Yeah. 
Well, someday soon, hopefully. Yes. Or a TV yep. series deal. Yeah. <laughs> or or maybe Marvel will come to me and be like, can you save Spider-Man? And I'll be like, yes. Yes, yes I can. <laughs> uh, Love to. <laughs> well, speaking of superhero stories and such, you know, what, what, what are some of your favorite superhero stories? Uh, it could be in comic books, of course, novels. You know, what, uh, you already said Spider-Man, but what are a few others? Well, I mean, I mentioned uh, some of the novels I like, which is Wearing the Cape. Uh, there's one I didn't mention, which is by Peter Kleins, who's a screenwriter, actually. And his uh, he did a novel series called X-Heroes, which is about mm-hmm. uh, superheroes after the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm reading that and, too. Right oh, now. yeah. It, that's great. I love that one. Uh, the, the, um, what, the, it's been a couple of years since I read it, but it was the main character's name is uh, St. Dragon. St. Saint, George. Yeah, the um, Mighty Saint Dragon. George Dragon. The Mighty Dragon, yeah. I loved that character. I really liked his earnestness, and I loved his like his arc. So, yeah, that's a great one. His book three is – book three or book four is hilarious. It's got a Monty Python reference in it that had me rolling for days. <laughs> um, the CEO I mentioned wearing the cape and D-List uh, – Confessions of a D-List Supervillain by Jim Boehner is a great, great novel. If you haven't read that one, hmm. it is hilarious and – but it's serious. It's not like a, a parody or anything. Right. So uh, if you want to read a superhero novel, put that on your list. Comic book storylines. There's a lot of them. My favorite probably is Renew Your Vows, which is a Spider-Man story. And long story short, about 10 years ago, somebody at Marvel made a horrible decision and they erased Mary Jane and Peter Parker's yes. relationship. Yes. And a storyline called One More Day. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to go there and go one more day beating you in the face yes. for doing this. <laughs> I couldn't I, believe it. I just, yeah. I was, I thought Marx was making it up, and he was. I said, "You can't be serious when you're no, telling me uh, what's happening." They really hated their relationship. Uh, I forget the name of the editor who really did it was was the spearheaded it, but apparently they hated it from the moment they did it. <laughs> so don't ask me why they did it. Jim Shooter did it, and he's the one who had them put together, and he loved it. And then they fired Jim Shooter, and then ever since then they were trying to break him up, and then they used that Civil War as an excuse to do it. Mm. Anyways, Dan Slott, who just left writing Amazing Spider-Man, kind of blew up at a convention recently, and and rightly so, because he gets asked this question probably a million times a day. And he didn't blow up in a mean way. He just was very emphatic, and he basically said, they're never getting back together. It's never happening. There is no one person at Marvel who could ever make the decision to get them back together. Like renew your vows is the best thing you're going to get, the closest you're ever going to get. And in five more years, everybody working in the industry will have been introduced in the comics after Peter and Mary Jane were erased. <laughs> and there won't be anybody here who wants them back together. Mm. I really just don't understand. Apart. Yeah. So renew your vows is a fantastic storyline. It's a six issue arc with with what life could have been like. I love Supergirl. Love Supergirl. My favorite incarnation of her is the New 52. Everything else in the New 52 sucked, but the Supergirl run was amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I'm trying to think of any of those. All the Marvel movies except for Iron Man 3. Love all the Marvel <laughs> Kind of going back to what I said earlier about if you don't love what you're doing, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And that was Iron Man 3. They, I don't know who made the decision to have the, the thing happen in the middle where you find out that, that, that yeah. Ben Kingsley isn't who he think, you think he is. But that movie, that just at that point, I almost got to walk out because <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, I so anyways, so I yeah, was, so all the, I thought all it was kind things. of funny, but also it's like, man, if you like that villain, who I I did like that villain, 
mm-hmm. uh, then that kind of is not so funny. <laughs> and he was scary. I mean, that that movie lost all of its punch at that very moment because mm-hmm. as much as I like Guy Pierce and I think he's awesome, uh, he was not a scary villain. Mm-hmm. He was just generic villain uh, A. So, yeah. But um, yeah, so and uh, most of the... I'm not a big fan of the the only Batman movie I really liked was Dark Knight. I didn't really, I liked Begins, but I liked Dark Knight a lot. I did not like it Returns. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for Batman versus Superman, and I could we could no. talk for an hour on why I didn't like it. No. Um, no. I didn't Your like mom's name Martha too. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, you know, uh, there's a YouTube channel called His He. The guy just nailed it, and they're like, "Oh, well, what did we do wrong?" And Wonder Woman says, "Superman didn't smile. Batman killed people." I mean, you that. <laughs> yeah, nailed it right there. Yeah. Um, but I did like Justice League a lot, and I loved Wonder Woman. Oh, my gosh, did I love Wonder <gasps> Woman. So oh, my God. I was just raving about it again the other day because I can't the, believe my mother has not seen this movie. But she wasn't grim, dark. You know, nope. She, the character, she she fought for what she believed and in it, and had it, hopes. That, that managed to be not only a superb superhero film, but it managed to be... If you've never cared for a superhero film in your life, you will love that movie. The the No Man's Land scene is 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 the greatest example of what good writing and good directing will do for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene with hardly any words uh, after it starts is just tells you the essence of who that character is and what she does, and she inspires people and yes. and she gives you hope. And she is willing to stand there and take it, you know, because it is the right thing to do. And, and like you said, you know, Julie earlier, because it was the right thing to do. And I just, yeah. So anyway, so that's, those are my favorite, those are my favorite kinds of stories and my favorite comics. And I loved how they didn't, they didn't make the men stupid in order for her to be smart or them weak for her to be strong. They were all well-rounded interesting real human characters who and yes they had each one had things that you know were negative things about their character but positive as well and what was so great about her as a superhero was she inspired them to overcome their to be better to be better people but they weren't like caricatures to begin with, they were everybody, and it just it touched on so much of history that I think so many young people don't even know about World War One at all. Anyway, yeah, you know they no, memorize absolutely. a few dates for a test, and then that's about all they do. And there, there's no no understanding of the humanity of of you know just the human catastrophe that that was. Um, there was a battle in World War II where a hundred thousand soldiers died, yeah. and uh, and it wasn't a very long battle. Mm-hmm. And so when that general in Wonder Woman says, "That's what soldiers do—they die being a soldier," I wanted to reach back in time and punch him because that's exactly the attitude that got those hundred thousand men killed mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the in that battle in France. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's escaping me at the moment. But yeah. Um, I anyway, so yeah. The- and there was, um, you know, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I remember uh, Young Indiana Jones, he's someplace like in Africa. And and he was disgusted because, like, they were talking about, oh, it was a bad battle because they had no understanding of the world war that was going on uh, at that time. And they were like, oh, well, we had, they should have to pay in, like, so many goats or whatever. And he, first he was disgusted. He goes, 
They think they can pay off human lives. And, and the guy tells him, he goes, no, it's just the only way that they have of acknowledging that the lives cost something. But they can't imagine a battle in which more than 12 people were lost. How am I supposed to right. explain to him a battlefield where tens of thousands of dead people laid? I can't, <laughs> he can't even comprehend that kind of carnage. So, you know, you know, and then that's when, you know, like as in exactly who's the, yeah, the, right. the brutal one here, you know. Women strong without making the men weak. There's this author who I really like. Her name is Pippa, De, Pippa, Pippa, Pippa DaCosta. I've never actually heard her name spoken out loud. Um, it we've one, just talked is on it PIPP or PIP? PIPPA. Probably Pippa. We've only spoken on Facebook a couple times. And she, there was this romance author who was asking for advice saying, you know, I don't understand that all my female characters are really strong and all the men are really weak. I don't understand why people. No, who wants a weak, <laughs> weak man? Men. Just like, just like, no. just like nobody likes weak women. I mean, you just, you just, you are making your hero strong by making your, her sidekicks weak. Just like, when you have a villain who, to make your villain seem smart and powerful, mm -hmm. you make your hero stupid. No, no. It doesn't work. Nobody likes and that. not so only don't do it, it. does no one <laughs> like it, but the notion that in order to have a strong woman, you have to have the mitt and be weak. Because in comparison, that's the only is, way to is make insulting. a woman strong is in comparison right. to a weak man. It is very insulting. Yeah. It's like um, the trend right now, especially in comic books, is to make yeah. women very mannish. And they're saying it's because, well, because it's okay to be this or it's okay to be that. But what they don't realize they're saying is is that what you're saying, the only reason Captain Marvel can be a good leader is if she's very butch right, and military deny, and mannish. She has to deny short hair um, and, femininity you know, in order to be strong. It's like I don't like – I've seen on these TV shows right. like police and stuff and they have a woman in charge and they call her sir. I'd be like, someone call me sir. I don't want to smack him. I'm yeah. saying, do I look like I got a penis and an Adam's apple? No. I don't. You don't have to. You don't have to call me sir in order f for me to know you take me seriously. You know, you you should you should yeah. be able to acknowledge that your superior officer is a woman, and yet still acknowledge that she's your superior officer. And and the notion yeah, absolutely. That, and there's no reason that that right, woman can't be you know, a woman. I, there's no reason to me yeah. the idea that you know she can't wear a skirt and a floral print and have long hair and be called ma'am or miss and be taken seriously don't you think that's the problem <laughs> you know that, yeah no i, I agree just, yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh... she happens to be kind of tomboyish and butch because that's her that's great that's fine but too she's forced into it because that's the yeah. only way she can be taken seriously yeah. denying femininity is the only way to be taken seriously that that to me is every is more insulting you know yeah, yeah. no i agree right i think people should just be people but there's a lot of writers who think and i think there's levels of writing as you go through it i, I don't mean to be crass but there's this thing called the man with boobs and that's like the first level of writing where oh, they just okay. write their women yeah. characters like men who happen to have different genital parts pretty much every action hero on in movies up until recently mm -hmm. who was a woman was that way um, yeah. you know, cold and tough and, you know, uh, in, in a very mannish way. And then you get past that and then it's the, you know, I'm going to write a female character who, who I'm going to show she's individual and powerful by having her sleep with everybody. Oh yeah. And, that is, uh... and if, if, if that's your personality or whatever, and that's your choices that you make, yeah. that's up to you. But that is no more representation of you being a strong character 
than you being tall. Right. Or you having uh, short or long hair because those – those are not attributes that make you strong or make you right. weak. They're just they're just attributes. I and just, I feel like there's a yeah. like a concerted effort to to defeminize women and I don't know why, but because I like women. And you know, I've I've said that before. I'm like, you know, I'm I was just saying this to somebody the other day where I don't want to come across as, you know, I'm anti-sex or a prude or whatever because I'm not. You know, if if you feel, you know, like you said if that that's your personality that's great be you should be true to yourself but somewhere along the line i feel like some we've forgotten to tell uh younger women that um being being a feminist and and being a strong woman if you want to use that phrase which i don't really care for can also mean that you get to be your own gatekeeper and it's okay to say no you know, yeah. it, and but the whole point is to be your own gatekeeper. Your dad isn't your gatekeeper. You know, some your older brother isn't your gatekeeper. But if if you want to say, hey, you know, I'm worth working for your for. sister. Yeah, you know, I'm worth working for, and I, that's I'm not the type of person to to be as free with affection. And my choice about who I am and who I feel is I'm I'm worth working for. That doesn't make you a rep- an oppressed woman, you know. You you know because yeah, you know you sometimes you know that bugs but, me. But you see that every once in a while, uh, and I think people mean well. But every once in a while, when they have uh, gay or lesbian characters, and mm-hmm. suddenly they're just having sex left all the right. time yeah. with who whomever. A primary trait of the character. Yeah. Like... Well, yeah, and there's a thing in fiction. Um, that you do when you're writing, whatever trait you introduce your character with first, that is their defining trait. And so when I watch a movie or TV show or read a book and the first thing the character is doing is something that I find morally despicable, that's their defining trait. And if it's too despicable, then they're no longer a hero to me and I'm not interested in reading it any further. Yeah. So the first thing the character has, the first thing the character does, the first trait they show in the opening chapter should be something that defines them as a character. And, that's really, really important. And, and it's sort of like the whole first impression. The mm, first time you meet yeah. somebody, the first thing that they do is that's who they are to you in your head. Yeah. But in fiction, it's even more important because you're going to be spending a lot of time with this character and you want, you can introduce faults later on, but the first thing, it better be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, what you said, Mark, so reminded me of when we lived for Europe in, in Vancouver and we saw the gay pride parade and there are people who thought, cause you know, I'm from, you know southwestern indiana and i was shocked and i I was a little offended at you know they had these flow everything was about sex and people being naked and and gyrating and carrying on and they thought it was because i was offended by homeless i said no what offends me is that the pride parade that seems to be the only way they're defining homosexuality is is just the act of sex instead of it being hey we're real people and because where I'm from in my hometown, we have gay pride week is really more of a weekend, but like the, it starts off generally at a church service and the mayor, you know, can't, he's like, I can't go to all the church. So he goes to a different church service where we celebrate pride Sunday at church and gay pride, huge picnic is a family event where there's like a bouncy house and there's face painting for kids and it's, it's funny. And it's families, and they have uh, family-friendly drag uh, competitions. See? And so to me, what LGBT rights 
were about was about we're just people and we have hopes and dreams and we fall in love and we have families just like everybody else not here i am naked and having sex you know because coming from where gay pride (laughs) events kick off at church (laughs) you know and i almost lost an eye in that There's a condom, like, smack me in the face. He, and he has glasses, which is amazing. So he's wearing his glasses, and they're throwing condoms. And you know how it's square and it's got a sharp corners? And it got wedged. It, like, fell on through between his glass and his eye. And the corner, like, cut his eyelid. Oh, gosh. It's a, that sucks. <laughs> and so, it's a ninja trying to assassinate me with yeah. a condom. <laughs> and so, you know, people are thinking, gosh, they're just... You know how people from that part of that country are. They're all a bunch of redneck homophobes. I'm like, you don't understand. You know, I went to a church where we celebrate gay pride, but it's family events. (laughs) You know, we have ministers and and the mayor and there's children everywhere. (laughs) Bouncy houses and barbecue, you know. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the important thing to focus on, especially when you're writing, you know, fiction characters, is just that your characters are believable, regardless of what yeah. their beliefs are, or what, regardless of what. Uh, when you start writing, when you there's an old saying in in uh, in screenwriting, that is, if you want to send a message, use Western Union. And uh, <laughs> I like that. The guy who said it was the, one of the people who founded MGM, mm-hmm. and even though nobody knows what Western Union is anymore, other than to send money. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of the same thing. When you write something to send a message, all that comes through is the message, and it's just mm-hmm. it, it's not and good. I, 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 as soon as I feel, and I, I'm that way, because as soon as I feel like something's preachy, even if I agree with the message, it, yeah, it's turn it off. off completely. Yeah, like I'm, you, yeah. you lost me. <laughs> yeah, no, and so there are universal themes. If you've ever read Iliad or or, or the Odyssey yeah. or um, uh, Dante's Inferno and Beowulf and Heck, um, Gilgamesh, right? Gilgamesh, are, yes. Gilgamesh is the oldest piece of written fiction in the entire world. It's like 8,000 years old. how good is it? Yeah. And it has a theme of friendship and sacrifice and trying to make yourself better. Those are themes that endure. Themes like, you know, whatever political flavor of the day A is, those don't endure and they get dated really fast. Yeah, that's true. It'd be like, it'd be like if I was writing a book and I kept putting in references to MySpace. Nobody would know what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> So I do um, another show called DC Action Hour with with uh, a guy named Jeff Burns, and we talk about different DC superhero shows on CW primarily. Along that uh. that line with themes, we talked about how like we like Supergirl, but uh, in season two they got very preachy. Uh. Yes, they did. And yeah. she was watching. so unlikable. <laughs> season one was so good, and then season two I didn't care for. Yeah, but the. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with some of the, the messages they were saying, right. but it was so preachy that I'm like, wait, well, what are you trying to accomplish here? It's I just like... kind of felt like you could make it a drinking <laughs> game at one point, except you'd be flat, you know, yeah. d- down drunk by the end of the hour. Yeah, they... It all comes down to honesty, really, is what it comes down to. I watch, uh, I love Arrow, and I had to stop watching it because... Oh, God, yes. There was this episode, for a reason unrelated to, to what, you're, what you're probably thinking, but there was this episode where this vigilante was murdering people in the city, and... Vigilante? There was, yeah, not not Arrow, but there was some other other bad guy who was murdering people in the city randomly, He'd, and he was filming it, and, and people were freaked out, and the city was scared, and 
And all of a sudden there's this shopping mall and, oh, yeah. oh, somebody saw him. And all of a sudden all these armed citizens start pulling out guns and <gasps> yes! shooting into the shadows. We were, and the idiot just and I'm like, shoot. I'm like, okay, I carry a gun everywhere I go. All right? yeah. I'm ex-soldier. You know, I, I go to the range a lot. I'm, I'm very much, I, I have responsibility to defend myself and my family. Right. I would never, ever, ever, nor do I know anybody who ever would, pull out the piece and open fire without knowing exactly what they were going to hit. Right, and the, do you People remember People who carry guns do not do that. Yeah. No, and the guy who he starts shooting up uh, at the, yeah, the tops of the buildings, and he goes, I have my Second Amendment privilege. I have my rights. I'm like, <laughs> I'm from a place, you yeah. know, like, on the street I, I grew up in. I lost all my respect for them. Yeah. Right, the yeah. street I grew up in, there were probably a couple of houses that didn't have guns in them. No one ever got shot. And I don't know a single person in my entire life who ever would have... Nobody does that. That's what people who who only know a few people in their tight little circle in an echo chamber, and that's how they assume people who aren't like them are. And so it's about honesty, right? I mean, yeah. they didn't tell that story honestly, and it offended me. It and was. You, it was very If offensive. you want to send a message like that, then you need to do it in a way that is honest, that, that will... That when somebody who's on the other side of the aisle watches it or whatever goes, you know what? I wouldn't do that, but I could see that happening. That's an honest right. story. I don't believe that, but I can I can understand people believing that. And so the, and and you know uh, David Mamet, he uh, he's one of my heroes, and he has this great video on YouTube about his uh, his writing class, and he says that writers have a responsibility to tell the story as honestly as possible. Mm-hmm. Because in doing so, they can discover something inside them, and people who read it can discover something inside them, and that's really important. You're using fiction I may not to be tell the, truth. Yeah, exactly. And I might not be the best technical writer in the world, and I, I certainly have my flaws, but I do try to be honest in what I'm writing and not mm-hmm. let my own biases, even though you can't help it because nobody can, but I, I try really hard to let my own biases come through. I let I let just people who have different opinions in my book. Right. And that doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make them right. It doesn't, doesn't make, make them those bad opinions people. Wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're not an evil, horrible person just because you don't believe what I believe. Right. And and when you can represent that in a book, you get you get honesty. So yeah. yeah. Well, and just think about the the difference between that how they handled guns there and like on Stargate SG One, where Jack O'Neill, um, Colonel Jack O'Neill, lost his son to an accident. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how how they handled that with raw feeling and honesty and I didn't feel like it was pro or anti just was it just was a sad tragedy that unfortunately does happen um and it it didn't make Jack O'Neill bad and didn't make his son evil it just it just happened it happened and it was a tragedy and it was sad you know, yeah. and but it, you know, it's a real life event for some people, and I felt like it was treated respectfully. Yeah, and, and that Arrow episode, I mean, there's two oh, different geez. people doing it. Yeah, and it just was really forced. Yeah. And, and that's what we we still make fun of. That. We go, who doesn't? There nobody does that. That doesn't yeah. happen. I wrote a big old long blog post to Stephen, oh, not a blog post, <laughs> but a Facebook post, and I tagged Stephen Amell in it, and I was. I was like, hey, if you ever want to have an honest conversation about guns with an American, because well, he's Canadian, right? Texas. Yeah, but he's Canadian. Yeah. And no matter how conservative 
or liberal they might be, they're Canadian. It's a different way of life up there. Yeah. So yeah. we lived for a so, year in Vancouver. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. And I love – it's not a knock against Canadians. I'm just saying mm-hmm. they have a different perspective on things. You just lost all your Canadian – No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, all, all five people who have bought one of my books in Canada. <laughs> um, the, uh, but uh, you just this, – this is where research comes in. You know, When they, people say write what you know, it's not write what you've experienced. It's write what you know and write what you've researched. I like writing characters from a diverse background not because – I'm a pro-diversity person, but just because that's how life is. Yeah. Fleet, one of my characters, he's a speedster. His name is Tony Shaw, and he's a um, he's from Boston, but his mom and dad immigrated were first-generation immigrants from China. Mm. And you know, there's a huge population in Boston of Chinese people, mm-hmm. uh, people of Chinese descent. And so that, to me, that's honest. You know, yeah. um, my 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 ex-marine character, he's uh, you know, he's middle America. He's a Texas farmer, a Texas rancher. Amelia's best friend, you know, who's, uh, her name is Kate Petronelli, you know, she's from New York. So it's like, you know, there's all these different, huge country. And I don't yeah. think the rest of the world can understand how diverse our country is No, because, how large because they're all diverse. not diverse compared to us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, so, uh, I, I try to write characters who are honest and real and I do that research and I ask questions when I don't know the answers. Well, I think I a lot of Americans talk, don't know how diverse. Yeah. We are. We're there's, a big country. There are a lot of different cultures and and almost like small sub countries together, and that's we are not, actually that's technically a good thing, you know we are technically fifty different countries. That's that's yeah. actually the original technical definition of the of the Constitution was that we are fifty different states. Yeah, which means country you know bound together under one treaty. But but anyway, so just being honest, I guess yeah. I, I'm hearing my daughter scream, so I might have to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I've been talking a while. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm a talker. Um, I'll just touch on real quick because I know what your next question is going to be is what am I doing now? That yeah. is actually what uh, we what have are right you here. Do- what are we you doing We just scrolled now? down to it. I, uh, I just – I've got a, a, a free – not a free book. Well, it's free right now. It's called Beyond the Black. It's a it's a short story in a in an anthology of other authors um, including M.D. Cooper who's a big-time military sci-fi guy. It's going to be on Amazon on the 14th of February – March, excuse me, called Beyond the Black. And it's a, got a short story from me called uh, The Butcher of Orsai. And it may or may not be a novel in the future. Uh, I just turned in a book, a military science fiction book called Intruder to an Australian uh, self uh, excuse me, small publishing house uh, called Close-Up Books. And that should come out sometime in May. And Intruder is uh, essentially a, a book I wrote that is about Wyatt Earp in space, but a woman. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mark teases me about how much I love Westerns. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Julie, you and I need to talk sometime. <laughs> Tombstone for the win, right? Yes, oh, yeah. yes. I was getting ready to uh, say. Every, if anyone looks at their DVD tower, they assume Tombstone says, I'm like, no, no, I brought that into the marriage. Tombstone no, no. is mine. Yeah. I'll be your Huckleberry. Yes. Um, so you'll like Intruder. You should read it when it comes out. Her All psychic's right. name is Holiday. Um, and she is a uh, U.S. – she's a, a deputy uh, deputy ranger in on the asteroid uh, of Ceres, which is the – largest non-planet body you in the just in, in married the system. my love of westerns with my love of science fiction i could yes, there you. you go she's a gunslinger she's a gunslinger and a pilot so yes and then right now i just launched arsenal 4 which was alien arsenal i haven't started arsenal 5 i'm actually working on my military sci-fi series i've been wanting to write for a long time and i'm about halfway through the first book probably going to write that before i move on to arsenal 5 i don't have a title for it yet and i don't have a release date yet for it I'm a big fan of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, so I kind of want to go with something like the main character's name is Kitty Cross, so I kind of want to do something like Kitty Cross and the Pirates of Zuckabar or something. <laughs> that um, would be so cool. 
we'll see what happens. And then uh, the only other big thing I've got coming up is in June, I'm going to be at Wizard World in Boise. Um, so if you, you come find me in Artist Alley, and I'll have signed copies of my novels and some posters and things like that. Cool. Very cool. What's well, It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, just hey, give us a call if you want to talk westerns. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I will. I've had so much fun talking to you guys. You're my kind of people. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jordan Gibson. I play Dark Star on Super Knocked Up, the web series. And you're listening to Genretainment. <laughs> Well, thanks to Jeffrey for chatting with us. If you're looking for an original superhero book series to read, then be sure to check out his Full Metal Superhero series on Amazon. We will have all of the links mentioned on the episode in the show notes. So that's it for today's episode of Genretainment. Before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, my Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks. Clicking over to genretainment.com or follow all the shows at scififulseradio.com we'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite film tv shows novels and web series genretainment is a production of alien jungle bug productions until Until next next time. time